I went looking through the house and uh, hoping I can find something. The difference between assault and aggravated assault is almost always a weapon, a knife or a gun. You have to err on the side of caution. I mean, time is an enemy here. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hello, and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, former New York City prosecutor, retired FBI profiler, and writer-producer on CBS Criminal Minds. And with me remotely, still from the big NYC, is... Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor, and fish out of water today, Jim. Southern girl takes New York. There you go. Well, you know, please leave it the way you found it. (laughs) I really would appreciate that. Thank you. And with us today in the studio is our very special guest, former detective, uh, special victim detective, 20 year career veteran of the DeKalb County Police Department, uh, Detective Kevin McNeil. How you doing, Kevin? I'm great. Great. It's great to have you back. Great to see you, Jim. Great yeah. to be in here, friend, again. Thank you. My Southern uh, accent partner. That's right. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you, Kevin. Great to have you with us. Really appreciate it. The weird thing is. I don't think I've heard either of you say y'all ever once. Oh, here. not yet. No. <laughs> not yet. So what's up with that? Just It, it, it uh-huh. has to happen organically, Jim. You just don't say uh, it yeah. on command. Yeah. Right, Kevin? It has to be natural. It has to be natural. Well, or, you just, or y'all won't get it. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> well, you just tell me whether or not, Francie, while you're in New York, instead of hearing y'all, you hear forget about it or not for nothing or take it east or something like that because somebody is always going to say something like that over there i'll be on the lookout and then i'll call you for a translation who knows what those things mean yeah there you go all right well we're back with kevin to talk to us about another one of his cases over the course of his career that he felt stood out and he wanted to discuss with us on best case worst case yes so i'm going to ask you the case you've picked out for today, mm-hmm. where in your career were you when this case occurred? Oh, man, I was still trying to find myself uh, as a detective. Uh, I don't even think I was a detective for more than six months. Uh, I just got out of training. Uh, and so I was very intimidated. Uh, really? Yeah. You know, being new and thinking I didn't know enough. So I was following everybody's lead, like listening and and some of the things, even when I disagreed with him, I couldn't say anything because I didn't. I felt like I didn't know enough to say anything. Got it. Yeah. So yeah. 
very early on, your rookie. How long were you in the academy? Um, well, I was in the police academy for mm, that's a long time ago. Uh, <laughs> twenty six weeks, and then they trained okay. me as a detective. Not long enough. It was, I think, like a month or so. So you went to the police academy, mm-hmm. then for twenty six weeks, then. We were street cop for a while? I was a street cop for eight years. Okay, you are a street cop. And now, at this point in your career, you're a brand new detective? Brand new detective. Okay, so you're a rookie detective. All right, but you spent years on the street. Yeah, and what made me become a detective is I had an incident on the street where I had to use my weapon, and uh, that didn't turn out so good. So it was was one of those moments where I had a career, career decision to make, like, wow, that was too close for comfort. And so that's how I decided to come, become a detective. Okay, so that sounds like another case. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Kind. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Possibly, <laughs> possibly even a best case, worst case medical. Yeah. But we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. But so now you're a brand new detective. How did you come upon this particular case? This particular case was a, a missing person case. And they decided, the supervisor, we're going to use this case to train him. And so they brought me along and it was a missing person case. And what was weird, it was an elderly person, okay. uh, didn't have Alzheimer's, was perfectly healthy. And the reason they thought it was odd, the daughter, they used to go out to eat every Friday. That was like their little thing, his daughter and him. And he wasn't home. And another thing, he always paid his rent in cash, always a day early. He hadn't paid his rent. Mm. So those two things made them realize something's not right. He's not home. He's missing this dinner with the daughter, which is routine for them. It's like a tradition. And he hasn't paid his rent, which is unlike him. Okay. So how long had it been since she last saw him? Then? She saw him th- the last time they had that dinner. That so last Friday. like a week earlier. A week earlier. But uh, the landlord didn't get him coming in the day before. Yeah. So he's at least missing that day. Missing had anybody day. seen him as far as you know? Nobody's between? seen him. He stayed in this little it was a little apartment building, like like a lot of elderly people stayed and stayed to themselves. And so when we knocked around, they even said, you know, he normally comes outside and sits on his porch and we haven't seen him in a week. So now we know we got a legitimate missing person. Right. So yeah. it could be as much as a week earlier. Yeah. That he went missing a week earlier. Because when you said he pays his rent and cash the day before, mm-hmm. to me, the first thing that perked up is this somebody who got robbed. See, on his way to yeah. paying his rent. And that's one of the things that I started looking into. Okay. Because that's one of the questions I would ask. Tell me something that you know about him that you think is that I should know. Okay. And then they would say, well, he always flashed his money. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, he w- he was a veteran. He got, you know, he retired and he didn't believe in banks. So he kept cash on him all the time. Mm. So he would always, uh, we used to tell him, don't count cash like that in public. And so I thought that was, I was like, okay, so now I'm thinking like you're That's thinking. That's a risk factor. Yeah. I'm thinking motive, risk, who would want to do this, who would want to, you know, do something to this person. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you get this case, they're taking you through it because they're using this as a training case for yeah. you, your first detective case. Yeah. And what do you first find out in this, in the course of this investigation? This when I first feel good instincts. Like I knew it as a street officer, but as a detective, I felt differently because the detectives that were there, the veteran detectives, what they were not pushing enough. Mm. Like they was treating it like, okay, maybe he wanted off. 
But in my mind, I'm like, no, nobody wonders off who's this old and set in their ways, has these many traditions with daughter. Then it's, you got too many important things going on in his mm-hmm. life. Pays with cash every single time. You know, people like I knew don't break up their schedules or their routines, particularly as you get older. Mm-hmm. If they just sudden abruptly just disappear. But they was treating it like a person who just probably wanted off and didn't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. And my instinct told me that wasn't the case. Um, so we did a search one on the house. Go in the house, very neat. Nothing looks disturbed because I want to make sure that nobody kick in the door. And um, So it doesn't look like there's any kind of abduction no. or anything else? Mm-hmm. Does it look like he packed his stuff and left? Nope, nothing like that. He has a um, cat, which was another sign for me. It was like, okay, who will leave that cat here? So the cat was stuck in that apartment stuck with in no apartment, food? Stuck in the apartment, no food. So mm-hmm. that was another telltale sign. But I started noticing again, you know, and I was a new guy, so I couldn't ask questions. So I was like, there's no sense of urgency here, you know? Uh-huh. So, uh, of course, I went looking through the house and uh, hoping I can find something. What's fine? Phone number. A phone number. A phone number with Where? a female's name on this dresser next to his bed. And I was like, oh, that is interesting. All right. And so, you know, now my theory is, you know, did uh, grandpa have a little uh, hobby, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, you mean a girlfriend? Yeah, 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 a girlfriend. So um, I took the number and I started doing some research on it. It came back to a young female. A young female? A young female. How and, young was young? 24, 25. And he really? was like, I think he was like 76, 78, something okay. like that. Yeah. Kevin, before you go on, I cannot help myself. I'm such a cat lover. I just want to make sure that his cat was okay. Oh, yeah, the cat was okay. We had to actually call uh, his daughter to come get the cat. And yeah, the cat was okay. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> I just surprised, Francie, that you didn't ask what kind of cat. Oh was. yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't want to put Kevin on the spot. It was yeah, his. Have, it was he was a rookie guy. I mean, it was a long time ago. Maybe he doesn't recall the kind of cat. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I wouldn't have known. <laughs> All right, so you got this number. Mm-hmm. It's a twenty-four-year-old girl. Yes. And what do you find out about her yeah. her history? I get phone records and found out, okay, she's been arrested before. Really? For prostitution and drug possession. Really? So I'm saying, okay. Sounds like a high-risk person. Yeah. Wait, and did the, and did the phone records tell you whether or not they'd been communicating often? Yes. Well, not often. It was um, about three days before we think he went missing. That was a phone call. And that was the last time? That was the last time. And what about the first time? When did when did it start? It started probably two weeks, if I recall correctly. About it wasn't that long. That's another thing that kind of made me weary. Like, this is not a friend. Like, this is somebody he just mm-hmm. met. So it was a new relationship. It was a new relationship. It was oh, very suspicious. And it wasn't long conversations. You know, the phone calls were like 30 seconds or a minute, you know, so they weren't talking to have conversations. So mm-hmm. that was, that kind of made me suspicious as well. So I imagine that if she had a criminal record, yeah, uh, you probably had some kind of address for her. Exactly. Exactly. First, I had a parent. There's another thing. Let me back up. There was a record of her missing. Parents had reported her missing. Really? The same woman? Mm-hmm, same when woman. When did they report her missing? They reported her missing. It was a t- about two months. It was like it was like weird because it's like nobody was looking for her. And she was an adult. And like, how in a perfectly adult is missing? But now I got the number, so I'm calling the parents to try to get more information. What do you mean she's missing? 
And what they meant by missing, when they, the reason they reported her missing, they tried to get her help for a drug issue. Mm. And she left and had no more contact with them. So, so yeah. it, it wasn't a real missing, missing person where they thought something happened to her. They just wanted to get her some help. And she wanted to avoid that. Yes. And that's when I found out additional information. When I talked to the mom, they mentioned this boyfriend that they were uncomfortable her being with. And he's the reason that they believe she's living this type of lifestyle. So by boyfriend, I'm assuming you mean someone other than this 76 yeah. year old man. Yeah. He was a troublemaker. And when I looked him up, his criminal history really told a lot. Well, what, yeah. did, you, what did you find yeah, out in his criminal history? Like assaults, aggravated assaults, a drug possession. And so I thought this guy's pretty, pretty interesting. And now he had an address that was around the corner, like down the street from the actual missing person. Mm. Well, and one thing, Kevin, I like people to know, especially uh, because I'm familiar with Georgia law, having been a state prosecutor there myself, is that the difference between assault and aggravated assault is almost always a weapon, a knife or a gun. So this may very well be a very dangerous guy you're talking about. Exactly. And that, those things, putting those things together, I'm trying to build a kind of profile of what type of person I'm looking for. And again, I'm new and they're treating it like, OK, just give it some time. He may return. But all these things I'm doing or seeing phone number of a young girl, I'm investigating. This young girl has a history. Mom is saying she's with this bad person she doesn't like. So I'm in my mind, I'm thinking the worst. Right. No, yeah. yeah, I fear for his safety. Yes. Well, and I think you're right for putting those things together. I mean, you have to err on the side of caution. I mean, time is an enemy here, mm -hmm. not a friend. Yeah. So you find out that this guy has a violent record. Mm -hmm. You find out that you know, he basically lives very close mm -hmm. to where this missing person is living or disappeared from. Where do you go next? I mean, yeah. how do you put this together? Uh, I go to his house. And when I go to the address, I knock on the door and this, this African-American gentleman comes to the door. But he wasn't the boyfriend that the mother described and who the, the one I was looking for. But did you sit down and talk to this guy yeah, anyway? I did. And what was his name? His name was Steve. Okay. Steve. I asked Steve, does he... Does he live alone? I was investigating the case. Did he mind if I can't come in the house and talk to him? And when I walk in the house, he said, sure. At first, he started asking me why. I told him I, I just need to talk to him about something I was investigating. He allowed me to come in the house. And when I walked in the house, I noticed female clothing. And we went to the kitchen. And as we sat at the table, I noticed mail with Sally's name on it. Really? Yeah. And addressed at that location? Addressed at that location. Okay, great. And that's obviously a clue. Yes. All right. So did you ask him about whether he knew Sally? I did. First, I let him, I asked him, do you have anybody that stayed with him? He said he stayed alone. And I said, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I noticed he was, his slaves was going. He showed me that he was nervous and uh, tensed up. And I pushed the mail with Sally's name on over to Steve. And I said, Steve, are you sure you stay alone? And that's when he looked at me with this weird look on his face. And what did he say? He said, oh, I didn't know her. Like, I don't know her like that. And she doesn't live here. I said, what do you mean Sally doesn't live here? She has mail with your address on it. So now Steve is looking at me like, hey, what's going on? Now he's trying to question me. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know, right. He's trying to kind of throw it my way. And so I asked him, I said, look, man, if, 
you ain't in any trouble. But if you're trying to conceal something, right, I'm already, you you already showed me you lied to me. Right. I said, so Steve, don't get yourself in something that you're really not involved in trying to cover up for somebody. Right. So did you ask Steve about this guy, Robert, that the mother of Sally was really concerned about? I did. And, and why? You say? Yeah. And because I told him that's how I came to his address, because Robert has somehow used his address when he was locked up in jail to get out. He gave the jail this address. That's what led me to his house. Got it. That's what okay. led me to Steve's house. So. Yeah. Did Robert actually live there? He said Robert lived there with Sally. So wait, so he goes from saying and nobody lives with me to then he has to acknowledge that Sally gets exactly. mail there. And now suddenly he admits that Robert nope. and Sally live there. You can't believe a thing this guy says. All right. So. That's interesting yeah. that he actually admits that they both live there. Mm -hmm. And what do you do now that this guy's <laughs> lied to you so many times? I know he's lying. Um, so I called my supervisor because I'm doing this on my own. Mm -hmm. You got to remember, they're treating it like, okay, this person's going to come back at any time, give us some time. But I've gone and done these extra work and I'm, I'm over there by myself. I haven't told anybody. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so now I'm thinking I'm on to something. It scares me. <laughs> so yeah. I'm not like, oh, snap. Now what do I do? You know, so I said, maybe I need to call and get help. Right. You know, um, so I called the supervisor. Supervisor shows up and, you know, you new detective. You don't know you can curse. You can use methods to kind of intimidate people. So my supervisor gets there and just goes into this guy, man. I mean, he's calling them all kind of lies, SOBs. And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> you know, so I was like, wow. And then I noticed this guy is kind of giving it up. And what was he saying? Yeah, he was, I was like, what, what? He was like, where they at? We know you lying. You already lied to my detective. So where are these people at? He said, I don't know. They, they just up and disappeared. I haven't seen them in a while. So when the last time you saw them? He said they was in the backyard arguing. Arguing about what? They were fighting about something. And I said, okay, what were they fighting about? I don't know, man. And so we pressed them a little bit more. Pressed them a little bit more. He said, they, 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 they left here and went to Savannah. I said, oh, Savannah. I said, do they have a car? He said, they rented one. Okay, Savannah's pretty far away. Yeah, Savannah's four four hours from Atlanta. Yeah. Okay, so they left, and did he say anything about this missing person, Mister Smith? He didn't. He said he didn't know because we brought that up. We told him why we was there. We uh -huh. investigated him missing Elder Demille. Like, Mister, had, had he ever seen him, Mister Smith, with Sally? And he said no. He didn't. He said, but Sally does stuff. That's how he put it. Does I, stuff. Yeah. I said, what do you mean by that? And he was like, well, she's a friend, but you know what I mean. And I said, no, you got to tell me what she means. <laughs> you know, he said, well, she's on meth and she sells her body to get money. So if she was with him. It's probably wasn't good. So, OK, I said, I'm going to investigate. I probably figured that out. Right. So mm -hmm. and and so I tell him, what did they go to Savannah for? He said that I don't know. So now I'm like, OK, who rented the car? You know, you got Sally who doesn't work. You got Robert who doesn't work. Her boyfriend who rented the car. That's when I found out Steve. The guy who's here, I'm talking to, rented the car for them. Okay. So he probably knows what kind of car it was. Exactly. Okay. Rent good. the car company. So they gave me another lead. So I go to the rental car place, ask, can I get the car? Because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, we need to do some forensics on this car. Right. You know, and the first thing I find out, they've rented it back out. Oh, so it got returned got and returned, they rented it out again. Rented it back out, washed so, it, and everything. So that means that 
they drove somewhere and came back? Did you find out exactly. how far they drove or anything? Exactly. They actually, uh, we got the odometer and it proved, I couldn't tell where they drove, but the start and the ending, you can tell they drove. It matched up with what Steve was saying. They possibly went to Savannah. Okay. So, and they had the car for like two days. It wasn't a long rental. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. And I'm worried because some of our listeners may not know, Savannah is on the coast of Georgia. So now I'm worried about why they felt the need to go to the coast. Exactly. And for two days, and why were they going all right. of a sudden? Okay. So mm-hmm. did that car yield any kind of forensic evidence? It didn't. Okay. We had to actually wrestle with the rental car company to get the person who had it to bring it back immediately. Mm. And they really didn't want to do that. So we had to kind of push them to do a call corporate. So it was a big mess. Okay. Uh, but you got the car. There was no forensic. No forensic. But at least you know that they were traveling for a couple of days. Exactly. So where did you go from there? From there, I called her, found a number uh, for her because Steve finally gave me a number that she could be reached at. So, so different than the number that you would had for her in the exactly. first place. Different from the one she had in first. So it's showing me she's moving around and she's trying to be, you know, discreet. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to get in contact with Sally's, you know, when Steve gives me Sally's new number, I call her and she says, who is this? And I tell her and she hangs up the phone. Mm-hmm. That's not suspicious at all. Yeah. Yeah. So I call her back hoping that she'll give the phone, you know, to Robert, hopefully. Uh, but that doesn't happen. The phone goes straight to voicemail. So, of course, try to use resources to track the phone, see where they were at when we called them. They were back in Atlanta. Uh, it just didn't give us exactly where they were. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have enough at that point to try to get a warrant. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't force them to come in and I couldn't put, take out arrest warrants. But in the meanwhile, like now, by this time, three weeks have passed. And the family is calling me like, you know, what's going on? What's going on? We still have not So now what I do is I check bank records. So let me dispel what my supervisors are saying, that this guy just left, took a vacation, decided he's just going to live a different life. So he was getting a retirement check, Social Security check. And when I called the Social Security office, said, well, we deposited this check two weeks ago. Nothing has been withdrawn. Because mm-hmm. you got to remember, he used to draw cash, withdraw cash just to pay his bills. So this bank account was building up and he wasn't withdrawing money. Now I'm thinking the worst. Like now I have to come to a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so uh, it just went dead from there. The case went cold and uh, the daughter would call me weekly, mm-hmm. you know, and she would come up with her own theories as to what happened. Uh, apparently he had a brother that stayed in South Carolina that wanted his inheritance. Apparently he was in the will. So she was thinking that he did something to him, but I wasn't able, I was able to kind of chase that lead down. The guy never left South Carolina, the guy she was referring to. So I was able to say, no, I don't see that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was real heartbreaking. Real. So literally the case at that point just went completely cold. Went completely cold. And you could never actually find nope. Sally or Robert? Rob, nope. Really? And, and it was like, they told me to move on to other cases. And that bothered me right until I resigned because the daughter was still calling me. Like even after being in the unit for 12 years at specific Victim, I would still get calls and she would tell me, hey, we need a death certificate because the monies that he had, they won't release because we don't have any confirmation of death. And the daughter would call me crying. Like she was like, that is so hard. My daddy didn't just disappear. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to bury him. And, you know, you hear that as a detective and you're like, man, you start thinking, did I do enough? Mm-hmm. You know, and being new at the time, not that I, when I was, you know, getting older in the field and got more experience, I look back on it and said, we didn't do everything we should have done. We should have done more. And here's another thing. Let me go back. Um, Steve, the guy who rented the car, we went to the house, found our line. A week later, I went back because I wanted to get, I said, he knows more than what I think he knows. I don't think he told us everything. The apartment was empty. He moved. He moved back to New York. We lost track of him. Wow. Yeah. See, this is, unfortunately, um, this is one of the difficulties of being mm-hmm. a local police officer. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were an FBI agent, you'd send a lead to New York and track that guy down. Yeah. And we would probably send a lead to Savannah mm-hmm. and find out what the hell happened there. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's one of the things I was thinking they were two, my supervisors were, and I was new and now it taught me a lot to never, again, never give up on a case and do more. It's better to do more than do less. Again, could have contacted the FBI and said, Hey, we got this missing person. We probably need your help with. Yeah. Uh, they didn't think that was a good idea. Uh, but like I said, now looking back on it, I wish I had done more. So, Given that, can you tell us whether this is a best case or a worst case? Oh, it's my worst case. It's my worst case. And tell me how that makes you feel. Like, why is it something that still you're all these years later, you're you're still bothered by it? Because I felt like we didn't do enough to bring justice to this victim or the victim's family. And we left a daughter who's still out there who knows. I don't know where my father is. We used to have dinner every Friday. It's like tradition. And that thing has been taken away from her. And as young as she was, she was in her 20s, to call me almost every week to see if I found out something. I wonder even now, what quality of life does she have worrying about that? And, and you know, that's something that I often tell detectives that this is more than just a job. You know, when you doing this work, you become part of people's lives. Mm-hmm. And to think like that, you have to do a job to know you did everything you possibly could. And that's why it's my worst case, because I don't think I did everything. I can blame it on my newness or whatever, but I don't think I did everything that was, could have possibly been done in that particular case. So can I just ask for clarification? Mm-hmm. Did you t- talk to the uh, Social Security office? Was it Social yes, Security? Social Security office. Yeah, yeah. You talked to the Social Security office about his checks. Yes. Um, now, he never paid his rent that month. Yes. And but they said a check had been sent and mm-hmm. it never had been cashed. Yeah. I mean, the theory that I was going by was that maybe he cashed the money and basically never made it to pay his rent. Yeah. But he didn't cash that particular check. No, because it was direct deposit. OK. So it went into an account automatically. Right. But he didn't like banks. So he would yeah. take money out of the bank to mm-hmm. pay. Right. Yeah. yeah. OK. So did he take all the money out from all of his previous checks and have that with him? See, that's that's he just took some money out. He didn't take all the money out. He okay. just took some of the money out. And I, my theory was that somehow he met this girl in the neighborhood. She saw he was old, saw he had cash on him and she befriended him mm-hmm. and told her boyfriend, Robert and Robert. And she came up with a plan. We're going to rob this old guy. Right. You're going to set him up, act like you want to spend some time with him and we're going to rob him. And I think it went bad. Mm-hmm. I think this person probably fought, didn't go down like they thought it would. 
And I think they killed him. They did something to him and, and, and got rid of his body. So well, and you and you said he was a veteran, right? So he yes. probably did fight for his life. And yes. I think that, like I said earlier, it's very telling that that uh, Steve said they were probably going to Savannah, where they likely dumped his body in the Atlantic. Yes. Yes. And that's what made me go back to Steve's house that the week following, because I was like, he knows too much. Like, how do you know they went to Savannah? They had to tell you why. Right. And why are you in the car for people that you say you barely know right. and putting your name on the vehicle? So, you know, but at the time, you know, that didn't it took me a week to kind of question that. Like, cause right then I'm trying to like figure things out as a detective and none of that made sense to me. Like, why would you do that? So when, and when he moved back to New York, I was like, wow. And I only found that out when I knocked on the neighbor's door. Like, hey, right. what happened to, oh, he went back to New York. Mm. Wow. Well, so Kevin, this is an interesting question that I would like to know. This is an unsolved case, right? It's an open yes. missing persons case. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't mean it's unsolved forever. I mean, some evidence or some witness, someone could come forward and the case could be opened again, right? It will. And I'm glad you brought that up, friend. I'm so glad you brought that up. But here's my concern. I think that we did such a sloppy job in the beginning that if we picked it back up or any investigator picked it back up, how strong of a case will we have? That's my concern. I don't think we did enough to consolidate or to record the work that we did and how we tied all these things together. Because I think we could have did more with Steve. We could have pushed him a little more, brought him into the precinct, gave him, let him, because we didn't even have him give us a written statement. Oh, really? All right. We were just sitting there casually talking to him. Right. But that doesn't mean he can't be re-interviewed someday if something else comes to light, if there's new evidence. I mean, you certainly recorded who he is, his identifying yes. information, right? And you had yes. um, the other inter- identifying information for Robert and Sally, too, right? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It can always be picked back up and uh, go back and, and see if we can do more with the case. Yeah, so. because, I mean, certainly at this point, this victim is presumed dead. Did yes. they get an adjudication of that? They did not. They didn't. The they family didn't. never got that. Never got it. Wow. So, well, I mean, fact is he's presumed dead and homicide cases do not have a statute of limitations. So there's always hope. Yeah, that's it. That's true. Um, always hope. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I assume just from your demeanor that this case really still bothers you. Oh, yeah. Still bothers me. It's kind of. I think about it often. And uh, so it's kind of, you know, you try to forget about it. And so. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, did he just say forget about it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but he said it in a charming southern I, I said it in my southern accent, not in New York. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I just, it was so out of context. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, you try to forget about it and yeah. it still haunts you. Huh? Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, we appreciate it. I'm sorry for dragging you through a case that is no difficult to remember, but uh, hopefully this is a cautionary tale for people out there who are investigating things that sometimes you have to put in that extra effort in the beginning. Yes. Uh, even if you think there might not be an absolute reason for it, mm-hmm. it's better to find out yeah. than to find out later that you didn't do what needed to be done. Exactly. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Kevin, for coming back and talking to us about one of your worst cases. Mm -hmm. And uh, we appreciate the insights you're giving us. 
Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Really appreciate you coming back and talking to us about your worst case. As Jim said, I feel like our listeners learn just as much from our guests' worst cases as from their best. Yes. Yes. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And for now, we're signing off on Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Tsumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Stories about child sexual abuse can make us feel powerless. But the good news is that there are organizations working to prevent abuse and keep kids safe. Darkness to Light and their Stewards of Children Prevention Training has trained more than 1.4 million adults to protect, recognize, and react responsibly to child sexual abuse. But there's more work to do. And with their 4 million by 2020 goal, Darkness to Light is setting their sights on training 4 million adults around the country to keep kids safe. By donating to Darkness to Light, you can help reach this goal that will make communities across the country safer places for kids. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org today to give. That's www.d2l.org.